for you. Are you ready for some football? <laughs> it's time. Anybody excited about it? NFL season's here. All right. <laughs> I'm excited. Come on now. Saturday too, right? College football. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Saturday and Sunday. One of the favorite times of the year. All right. So here we go. Don't leave too fast. We'll get you out before, <laughs> before the kickoff begins. Um, don't you worry. We have that in mind too. But in the midst of things, we wanted to say thank you for coming today. Um, if I don't know you yet, my name is Rollin. I'm the pastor here. And it is good to be able to study God's word together with you today. So um, today is actually a good day because um, nationally, this is actually officially a thing. This is known as National Back to Church Sunday. Did did anybody know that? This is actually officially across churches, not only in the city of Chicago, like Chicago was doing its own thing, but like across the entire nation, they've made this Back to Church Sunday, where people are welcoming people who've been estranged from the church, people who've never come to know Jesus, people who are basically hearing the gospel for the first time. This is a celebration where we're saying, hey, God wants you back, right? In every single way, God's a God of reconciliation, God's a God of restoration, and he wants you back. And so we get to participate in that today in terms of Back to Church Sunday. And so if you didn't know that it was Back to Church Sunday this week, you could pretend like it's Back to Church Sunday next week, okay? And you could pretend by going after your family member, friend, coworker, and saying, hey, listen, there's this thing called National Back to Church Sunday. Oh, when is it? Don't worry about that. Just come with me this week, okay? And so <laughs> that'd be great. But we're going to have that and celebrate that every year. And so with that in mind, just to uh, celebrate all that God's doing, across the churches of Jesus Christ um, in the nation. We're going to entitle this message to, um, today, Back to Church Sunday, okay? We've been going through a, a series uh, which was called Faith of Our Fathers, going through one of the uh, halls of faith, which is affectionately known um, as Hebrews chapter 11 um, for the past several weeks, looking at the lives of several believers in the Old Testament and how it was all a foreshadowing of how we're supposed to live by faith in the living God today and today today's times in our cities today, and but today we're going to culminate that with Back to Church Sunday and go after it this way. So um, if you're taking notes today, I thought it would be an easy way to break it down because our theme here as the church is called Christ community and culture, right? We believe that pri our primary goal is to connect people to Jesus Christ, God the Father, through Jesus, his son. Number two, to see those people become part of his body as part of the community of God, the living God in terms of his church. And then number three, as the church to impact the culture in which we live. So today, um, just along those themes, we're going to uh, take notes and we're going to talk about Back to Church Sunday in terms of Back to Christ, Back to Community. I'm throw another one in there, back to comfort and back to change, okay? Four points, back to Christ, back to community, back to comfort and back to change, okay? That's how we're going through it today and we're going to start by praying to our God. So Father, we thank you so much for your goodness towards us today. We thank you that, God, you're continually calling us over and over again, whether we've known you throughout our lifetime or just having the privilege of getting to hear about you today. 
God, you're a God who calls us to yourself by your loving kindness. Father, by calling us to faith, calling us to comfort, calling us to healing, calling us to repentance, calling us to the life that you intended for us. And today as we study your word, God, we're asking that you would ground us in your truth that we might not only hear your call, but find you in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Okay, so let's start with Christ. We all know that if you are coming to church, well, at least if you are coming to church for the right reason, you need to be coming for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a house of worship, are we not? The reason that we come and the reason that we gather is to honor, to exalt, to glorify, and to give praise to the one who created it all and is worthy of all our adoration, affection, and praise. But the first thing that we want to do is not only worship him, but understand what the nature of the church is supposed to be in Christ. And our first point is this, that God's church is a pillar and foundation of the truth in society. It's a pillar and foundation of truth in society. It helps you see God and his plan for the world clearly through the preaching of his eternal word. And so if you are trying to figure out why you need to be involved in the community of God, it's because of the fact that God himself is a self-revelatory God. You don't have to guess who he is. You don't have to figure out who he is. He's making himself known to you. Isn't that good news? Okay, in this world in which we live today, people have their own makeshift spirituality where they're trying to have their own, what I like to call designer God. But God is not a God who will be defined by people. He defines us by who he is and what he calls us into. So let's start with 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. We're gonna give you several scriptural references today that help us understand what he's calling us back to as a part of the church. He said this, this is the Apostle Paul writing to his young disciple, Timothy, who would himself become a leader in the church many years after uh, <clears throat> Paul himself was executed for preaching the gospel. He said this, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Or in other translations, it clearly says the pillar and foundation of the truth in all society. So as its society is being shifted back and forth based on its moralities, convictions, and whatever is true, God's saying that I do not change. Isn't that good news? The God that we serve does not change. It doesn't matter what period of time we're in. It doesn't matter what's going on in society around us. It means that God is not fickle as humans are fickle. And that's good news if you're trying to be reconciled to him. He remains the same and he preaches his eternal word to shape the world, to hold the world by its foundations of his word, and to actually be the salt and the light in the earth through the church. He said, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, meaning Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world and taken up into glory. This is what we preach in the church week after week after week in our community groups. We all honor and elevate that truth over and over again. Why? Because it's meant to be a pillar and a foundation to your life and the society in which we live. Now, if you are going to a church and they are not preaching the eternal word of God, let me tell you that is not a church. 
Everybody understand that? Like an organization or somebody coming together week after week and just coming together to um, encourage one another, even with trite, uh, trite pieces of information or colloquialisms or things of that nature. They are not a church if they're not holding to the word of God. God says that his word has to be preached if his people and society as a whole are going to be shaped in the manner in which he desires it to be. That's what it means to be a pillar. That's what it means to be a foundation, right? And so in the same way, we see that Jesus himself, it all points to the fact that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus has not only had a first advent, meaning a first coming to save the world by his sinless life, his miracles, his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead, but he's coming again to bring restoration to the world that he created. And the time in between his first advent, his first coming, and his second coming is the church's time to be the salt and light in the earth to preserve the earth according to his ways until he makes his return in glory to accomplish all that he intended to and let us know that he would by his word. Matthew 16 verses 13 through 20 explains it in this way. People need to come to Christ. You can go to all types of events. You can go to all types of organizations in the world around you, but the church is the one you should be able to trust to lead you to and explain to you who Jesus, the living God is, right? And if we're not doing that, then we're not doing our job. How many people could say amen to that? People have got to know who Jesus is. People have got to know how to respond to him because the gospel says we're all going to stand before him one day in judgment and have to give an account for our lives to the one who made us, created us, and came to save us. And so the church, as the pillar and foundation of the truth, its ultimate goal is to lead people to Christ. Matthew um, chapter uh, 16, starting at verse uh, 13. It's uh, <clears throat> Jesus speaking to some of his disciples before his crucifixion. And he says this, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, who is the cousin of Jesus, the forerunner of Jesus, preaching repentance for sin, um, um, from sin and a forgiveness of sins through the one who was coming, the Messiah who was coming. Others say Elijah, who was one of the Old Testament prophets after Moses. Moses gave the law by which the people of God were to live life and relate to God in obedience to him. And Elijah was one of the prophets after the people went astray who was calling people back to that law in repentance saying, come back to the ways of God, come back to the things of God that he might bless your life. And others say Jeremiah, another one of those prophets or one of the prophets, he, meaning Jesus said to them, that's fine, many people have different opinions about who I am, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Those of you who've been following me for several years now, though society has different opinions about me, who do you say I am? It's the same question that he asked to us today, right? He says, listen, people are saying that he's a good teacher, he's a good prophet, but some people aren't willing to accept that he's the eternal incarnate son of God. And he asked the same question today, who do you say I am? And Peter, always the, <laughs> always the um, ambitious one, jumped to the front of the class and he said this. He replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, 
Blessed are you, Simon, bar Jonah, meaning son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Okay, I'm going to say that again. On this rock, I will build my church. So Jesus is making something very plain and something apparent. If you're trying to figure out what Jesus is concerned about in our times and in this city, he wants to be concerned about his bride. He wants to build his church. He was building his church back then. He's building it today, and he's going to be building it until his return. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father. And Peter, which means rock, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Now, obviously, we know that's not where he ended because after his resurrection, he said, hey, go into all the world and tell everybody who I am and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. But the question is, if that's the charge he's given us, how is he going to do it? Well, he says, people are going to clearly see me and they need to clearly see me through my word, through the preaching of the church. I'm building my church. And guess what? As we're in a high school, the good news is a church is in a building or an edifice. It is the people of God. How many people know that if you belong to Jesus, you are part of the church today? And Jesus says, I'm building you and I'm building your life and the church that I want to actually establish in the earth and establish to be the pillar and the foundation of the truth is going to come through the preaching of that word through your lives. It's not going to just come through him coming down from heaven again and coming with a trumpet and the sound of the angels, right? Declaring, I'm back. He's saying, listen, in the meantime, my church is a pillar and foundation of the truth. I'm building my church through your life and the efforts that you make as my people. So the first thing is, is that number one, back to church means back to Christ. We've got to see Jesus Christ clearly. Number two, back to community. God's church, I think this was already mentioned in the announcements, but God's church is a family. Isn't that what he said in Paul's writing to the um, disciple Timothy? He said, it's God's household. What kind of language is that? It's a family language, right? He said, it's the household of God. The church is the household of God. And here's the good news, especially in a generation that is so relationally dysfunctional. How many people would agree with that? Because there's been an attack on the family unit, starting with the absenteeism of fathers and then going on to the dysfunction of the family in terms of mothers with their children and children with their siblings, we see that dysfunction was not God's plan at the beginning. And part of how he's going to restore the earth in which we live is restoring the family unit as he intended it to be. But where are we to get an example of that? If God's going to build a household, how are we going to get an example of that? We're going to get an example of it through his church. Now, I've got to be careful with this because several people, whenever we invite them to church, they always have a pushback because they've had bad experiences in the church. 
How many people have ever had a bad experience in the church? Uh, okay, well, <laughs> all right, well, I'm glad we're talking about this today. It was like it was almost everybody. So here's the thing. I've had mostly good experiences in the church because I didn't grow up in the church. That's why. <laughs> I didn't grow up. And so I was just like, oh, man, they're preaching Jesus to me. I'm happy to be here. I'm not going to hell. You're not going to hell. This is great. You know? <laughs> so that was my experience. But many people who grew up in the church had hurt, Right? And they said, the same dysfunction that I saw in my own natural family, it's the dysfunction that I see in the church. But the good news is, if you're a f- part of a family, it means that you walk through good times and bad times, and they're not, they don't cease to be your family in the midst of the challenging times. Anybody have siblings or parents that you had some beef with before? Come on, be honest, they're not here today. Okay, so like... If you had beef with your family before and you wished that you belonged to a different family, you're not alone. And that's exactly how the people of God feel sometimes when they're thinking about the church of Jesus Christ. They've been like, they've disappointed me. And many times the disappointment comes not because we actually dealt with people as they are, sinners just like us who are saved by grace and being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's because we elevate them to the place of Jesus himself. And whenever they disappoint us, it's because you weren't Jesus to me. And the answer to that is you were never expected to be. Jesus is the only one who's going to be Jesus. Everybody understand that? And everybody else just is a participant in his grace that's offered. And we're doing our best, family. We're doing our best to love him and to love one another. So much so that he says, listen, you've got to learn to forgive. Just as I've forgiven you, you need to learn to forgive one another. Matter of fact, if you don't forgive one another, I won't forgive you. Isn't that what he says? Does that scare anybody? It scares me because I know that I could hold bitterness in my heart. Isn't that the the truth? Anybody else like me? Get angry and want to point fingers and say, go to hell. You know, listen, listen, that is the truth, right? That is the truth. Even in the church, you want to start criticizing the people who are your family. And he's saying, listen, families have issues. Why? Because you're a bunch of sinners. I'm a sinner. And he says that if we're sinners saved by grace through faith, then we've got to understand that until Jesus makes his return and perfects us, we're going to be a work in progress. We're going to be a work in progress. And your family doesn't see to be your family just because you're going through issues. This is what Proverbs says. Proverbs says this in chapter... <clears throat> I jumped ahead, that's fine. Proverbs 17, 17. He says this, a friend loves at all times. All times. Now, that's a challenge, right? A friend loves at all times. And a brother, meaning your family and God, is born for not good times, but what? Adversity. (laughs) Anybody love that? A brother is born for adversity. Because in the midst of life, you will have trouble. Isn't that what Jesus said? Sometimes the trouble is initiated by your siblings, unfortunately or those that you look to as your family. 
But he says, guess what? A brother, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. How many people know that the community that he's calling you to, it's good that you have people that you could go through things with so that not only in the good times, but in the challenging times, you're flanked on the right and the left with the love of God and saying somebody's committed to you and relationships, hear this please, relationships are no longer disposable. In this uh, generation, that's how people treat relationships. They treat them as disposable, right? If you come from a broken home, you might have felt the effects of that, right? People say that they fall in love and out of love. And when I fall out of love, that relationship, which you used to define me, is now disposable. And I don't want to be a part of it anymore. And not only are the husband and wife affected, but the kids are affected too. But guess what? The Bible says that the church is to be different. We don't treat one another as disposable. If you have issues, talk to one another. If you have real big issues, get a group together and talk about it, right? Isn't that what Matthew 18 says? He says, if your brother sins against you, first do what? Go and show him his fault. Everybody likes that. Oh, I got, <laughs> oh, I got a word for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> go and show him his fault just between the two of you, right? Make it private. Don't go on Facebook. Don't start blowing up Instagram talking about, you know, making a like nasty face to somebody talking about this for you. You know, it's like, listen, he says, go and show him your fault just between the two of you. If your brother listens to you, you've won him over. If your sister listens to you who offended you, you've won him over. But if not, if they're still rebellious and in sin, take another person along with you. Take one or two others. And everybody likes that, right? It's like, now I got some backup, <laughs> right? Now I got some, that dude won't listen to me. And here, here's the funny thing. Sometimes you'll get some backup and like go back to the person you were offended by, and then the backup will turn on you. <laughs> And say, wait a minute, I think that you were the actual one with the issue. Has that ever happened to anybody before? Oh, that's a beautiful thing when it happens. It's happened to me. I'm just saying. I remember going into my... <laughs> I'll admit this. I remember going into my uh, premarital counseling with my wife. And I had some issues I wanted fixed before we got married. <clears throat> so we went and sat down with a pastor. And um, he was doing the counseling with us. And I was like, he was like, so tell me how things have been going. And I got out my list. <laughs> I got out my list. And I was like, yeah, you know, she does this, 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 and this. You know, and so, you know, I'm trying to lead this home. And so, you know, you need to talk to her, Pastor. And you know what he did? He was like, thank you for sharing, Rollin. B, we're not going to talk about you today. We're going to talk to you, Rollin. And I was like, I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I was like, this backfired, you know? And, and I, I'm a t I tell you what, almost the entire, I don't know that he said a word to be the entire premarital counseling time. He said, you're so great. I'm sorry you had to put up with that. You know, and I was like, and I, and I was like you know what? But it was good. Because again, like I came trying to come with some backup and he turned on me and it was for my sanctification. And how many people will hopefully know I'm a better husband now because of that, Okay. And then he says, if he won't listen to two of you, then, then bring in the, what? Bring in the church. See, some people don't like the church because they don't like any accountability in their lives. 
They don't like any accountability. People church hop nowadays. They go from church to church to church saying, oh, I'm going to try this one out. No, 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 you know, I didn't like that music, so I'm going to try that one out. Matter of fact, I didn't like that um, sermon, so I'm going to go. And you never are known, and you, are never, you never get to know anybody else. And you know what? That provides you a life free from accountability. So nobody knows your issues. Nobody knows the ways in which you need to be sanctified. You just get to, here's the point, do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, because nobody's asking you any questions. Why? Because you're just a person filling that seat, warming it. But what God's plan is, is that you would have a church where people know you and you know others and they can actually speak into your life. That's what real community is about. And you can vice versa speak into other people's lives. If you are not known in the church in which you go to, let me tell you, that is not their fault. Everybody hear that? It is not their fault. Whenever you show up, I don't care if you're the most introverted person in the world, you can stretch out your hand and say, hello, my name is what? My name, wait, you can, <laughs> you can stretch out your hand and make yourself known. You know what Proverbs also says? A friendly man must show himself friendly. If you want friends, be a friend. How about that? The Bible says we love God because he first loved us. Now he says be imitators of God. Okay, so community. We share life together during the ups and the downs, during the trials and successes as we pursue Christ and his kingdom. Jesus said it this way, making it clear who your family is. I remember um, um, Cole and I were in uh, Durham, North Carolina, and we used to uh, preach to um, several of the uh, gang members, you know, uh, throughout the city. And I think that it's with good preparation for Chicago, but it was sort of like, you know, like we'd speak to the gang members and the thing about the gang members is like when they were coming to repentance and faith in Jesus, this was a big issue about community because people would, you know, what is the point? What was the original even design of gangs? It was to provide a sense of community. It was to provide a sense of brotherhood. It was to provide a sense of, I belong to a group of people, right? Who have my back and I have theirs. And so part of the issue when we were preaching the gospel to them is they were making professions of faith in Jesus. I had young man after young man tell me, hey, listen, but that's still my, that's still my brother. Somebody, he doesn't love the Lord, but that's still my brother. And why was he saying that? Because he's like, I grew up in hard times. And when we were in fights or in gunfights, it's like he had my back and I know I had his, Right. And so what began to happen is, is that we had to specifically talk to them and say, listen, you need to have a new identification about who your family actually is, who you actually belong to, who identifies you. And when God's calling you back to the church, he's calling you back to community that will identify you the way that Jesus did. And if you can't get out of a place where you are identified by the people of the world rather than the people of God, I'm telling you, unfortunately, you will struggle. You will struggle. You understand that? Is everybody hearing this? Who you identify with matters. He said, don't let anyone mislead you in 1 Corinthians 15. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. That means you will become like who you spend time with. You will become like who you give your allegiance to, your heart allegiance to. 
If you want to become like Christ, give your allegiance to and be around people who are going hard after Christ. Because if you don't, you're going to become like those who are straying from him. Practical, right? This is what Jesus said. Matthew 13, I'm sorry, Matthew 12, 46 through 50. He says, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Who were those people? It was Mary, right? The virgin mother who had him. But how, how, isn't this good news for all the, everybody who grew up in, uh, Catholic in here? Mary had other babies. <laughs> she didn't just have Jesus. She had other babies, right? That's right. Joseph wasn't denied all his life, okay? <laughs> he was like, <laughs> they had some fun together. All right. <laughs> all right. So they had other babies. And he said, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That means I have more of an affiliation with some person or woman or man of God that I've never met than I do with my own blood. You hear that? Because I'm defined by another blood now. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which sanctifies me and washes me. Let me tell you something. In this city in which we're living, and matter of fact, in the nation, has anybody been unsettled by all of the racial tensions that have been going on recently? Let me tell you how we're going to bring peace to that. By identifying yourself first, not as your ethnicity, but as a child of God who comes with the gospel of peace to reconcile men and women, black, white, Asian, Latino, all across the board. He's saying, I'm bridging the gap through my word, my blood, and my spirit. My blood needs to define you far above anyone else's. And until you begin to live that way, there's going to be beef, even within the church. Even within the church. He said, it's got to end. We need to repent and identify with our brothers and sisters, no matter what they look like, because we're bound by his blood and not just our natural family line. Okay, I'm gonna keep preaching myself. Woo! This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He said this, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. I'm gonna read that again because people are like, huh? Okay, here we go. Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. Meaning people, you know one of the bywords or the catchphrases nowadays is I want to find organic community. Anybody ever heard that term before? I just want to find organic community. You know, listen. He says like that's not something to be built. It's something that Jesus has already accomplished. You see that? 
Because of what Jesus did by his blood spilled on the cross, he said, I've already established a way for authentic community to take place. Now, it's your responsibility not to jump around from church to church trying to find it. It's to participate in it where you are. Otherwise, you're continually dissatisfied, always looking at why things are better and they're greener pastures on the other side. You will be a wanderer and a vagabond. He's saying participate in that which Christ has already provided for you rather than trying to find the ever elusive pot of gold. Participate in it where you are and actually be a part of the solution to create an atmosphere where that can take place. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Comfort. God's church is a refuge. He's calling us back to comfort. It's a place to find healing and wholeness in God in the midst of life's struggles. Isn't that good news? This is what Paul said to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. He said this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. I'm the Father of mercies. Right. He says, And God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Isn't that good news? We have a God who comforts us, meaning that you have a God who loves you and cares. No trial is too big. No thing that you're concerned about is too small. He said he comforts us in all of our afflictions. In all of them. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I'm sorry. He says, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort which we ourselves have been comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, and that's, that's Bible too, right? In that Christianity, people just want to be freed of their issues and problems in Christianity, right? But how many people know that suffering is also part of the gospel? That's a lot of times why people backslide, because they didn't realize that that was part of the package. They're like, I thought this was just to make me happy and better, and I get everything I want. Name it, claim it, baby. He's like, no, 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 suffering comes along with it. And he says, but just as we are um, abundantly, <coughs> share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, Paul talking about himself, it is for your comfort and salvation, talking to the church. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. Has anybody ever been through something serious? I'm not just talking about like somebody hurt your feelings, but I'm talking about been through something serious and you actually had the comfort of God in the midst of it. And then all of a sudden you didn't realize how many people were going through the same thing as you. You were like, man, 
I thought I was alone in the midst of it because that's what it always feels like. When you're in the midst of a trial, you feel like you're the only one going through it. But then when you come out with the comfort of Christ, then you start to all of a sudden meet all these other people who are going through the same thing as you. And then you get to comfort them with the same comfort that Jesus comforted you with. That's his plan. When he's calling people back to the church, he's calling people back to a place of comfort, wholeness, and healing. That not only you would receive it, and if you need it today, we encourage you to come and get some prayer. Have your brothers and sisters stand with you that you can receive it, and then one day you'll be able to give it as well. That's the good news of the church, real life. But then finally, it's a, he's calling us to a place of change. Last point. God's church is your vehicle for change. It's people who help you and society to get there. Paul, again, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.19 said this, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity or let them turn away is what another translation says from wickedness. A lot of times people wanna come into the church and just remain the same but though God will never change, he expects us to. Everybody understand that? The message that Jesus preached was repent and believe the good news. As the people of God, we're called to bear fruit, he said, in keeping with a lifestyle of repentance. But it's not something if he's calling you out of drunkenness or sexual immorality or some form of addiction or lust or, or some form of pornography or cheating or greed. It's not something that he leaves us to do on our own, but the church becomes your vehicle through which you can accomplish that. And what is a vehicle? It does not mean that it's what actually is the only thing that can get you there, but it sure does help you get there and it gets you there faster. I love walking in this city. Chicago is a walkable city. But how many people are thankful for the CTA? <laughs> okay. It's sort of like, I don't know about, I don't know about you, but I, I leave my car at home because I don't like the traffic. Can anybody say amen to that? Okay, well. And do I have to put up with the smell sometimes? Yes. That's the church. Do I have to put up with people who could otherwise make me uncomfortable sometimes. Yes, that's the church, <laughs> right? It's a vehicle to help you get where you need to go. And it helps us not only change ourselves, bringing us to a place of repentance, but it also helps us, the church, as we said at the beginning, is meant to bring change to the communities in which we live. Again, Christ community culture, one of the things we're believing for is to rename the city, to deal with issues like systematic, um, I'm sorry, systemic poverty, racism and the like. But to do so, we've got to be changed and we've got to afford other people the opportunity to change as well. I wanna show you a quick clip I, I long for and I get desperate at times because I love entertainment, but I get desperate for like clean entertainment. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever gone through Netflix before and be like, nope, 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 
No, ah, okay, so what I, what I landed on, and even this was a little bit sketchy sometimes, is like once upon a time. I'm a Disney buff. <laughs> okay, I'm a Disney buff. Anybody ever watch Once Upon a Time where they take all the old characters and the old fairy tale issues? But I, I thought this was hilarious. Hilarious and thinking about change. B pointed it out to me the other time because sometimes we'll go to sleep watching Once Upon a Time. She'll be like, ooh, but honey, the next episode, and then like I'm out in like three minutes. You know, she's like, oh, this is gonna be good. I'm like... You know, so, okay, so she had to point this out to me, okay? But let's show this cl- um, clip about how the church is meant to be an agent of change. This is wild. And just to set it up, these are some of the familiar characters that you know, some of the, like, Cruella DeVille. One lady's the evil queen from Snow White. Another one's uh, Ursula from The Little Mermaid. And then they're, they're on the, the county line, which is Storybrooke, and they're coming in. Okay, I'll show So Carol and Ursula were telling the truth. It would appear so. No, wait, Emma. I, I think this is a bad idea. Look, they may have told the truth this time. That doesn't mean they can be trusted. Come on, this doesn't sound like you. You always believe the best in everyone. I'm also a realist. Emma, she's right. Things were just starting to get back to normal in Storybrooke. You too? Well, we don't know anything about these two. They could be looking for redemption, but they also could be as evil as Mr. Gold or Selena or worse. That could be, but they just helped us and we made a deal. Doesn't matter. It's a bad idea. They're villains. You're right, they are. They're horrible. But not as horrible as I once was. And if I deserve a second chance, so do they. How could I sit here looking for my happiness and deny two others a chance at theirs? I'm with Regina. We let them in. Thank you, Regina. You won't regret it. I better not. Okay, so what that was, okay? First of all, that we, did everybody recognize the characters by their hair and everything like that? Okay, Cruella had the black and the white on the other side. She had her crazy car that she always drove around. That was Ursula next to her. And Storybrooke was with uh, um, the, the woman with the short hair was supposed to be Snow White. Um, the a guy with the blonde hair was supposed to be Tr- Prince Charming. And did you hear what they said? Remember, Snow White and Prince Charming were supposed to be the perfect people, right? Sort of like the church a lot of times, right? Saying, I don't know if we should let them in here. 
Uh, we were just getting back to normal. I don't want to mess things up now. Isn't that how the church is sometimes? I don't want to mess with the sinners. You know what I mean? Because we are just getting back to normalcy in our church. And God's like, no, 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 no. You got to let them in. If there's redemption is what the queen said for me, there can be redemption for them as well. And I love how they threw out that scroll because that's sort of like what I imagine some people doing with evangelism sometimes. They take a church card in their hand. They don't want to talk to anybody, but they just throw it at them. <laughs> throw it at them. And they're like, come to shark. <laughs> they're like, come on, baby. You know? and, so, and so they're like, all right, I'll pick it up. But did you see how symbolic that was? They opened up the scroll. They opened up the scroll, they read it, and then they were able to see clearly their way into Storybrooke. If we open up that word, people will see clearly and be able to come right on into the kingdom. If we give them the opportunity and change will occur. Is anybody inspired by that? Yes. Yes, that is parables. God using any and everything to preach his word, at least today. And so what we see, what we see is at the end of the day, the church is calling people back to change. Change. If you need to repent today, today is your day. Leave that sin behind that's destroying your life. Put your faith in Jesus, his sinless life, his miracles, his death, burial, and resurrection. He'll make you new. He will make you new, give you the Holy Spirit and a church to empower you to live that way. A.W. Tozer, this is the last quote I'll end with, said it this way. If God gives you a few more years, which none of us are promised, how many people can say amen to that? If God gives you a few more years, remember, it is not yours. Your time must honor God. Your home must honor God. Your activity must honor God. And everything you do must honor God. That is what he's called us to through his church. And everybody say amen to that. It is your charge today. And it's how we are determined to live in and through Second City. Second chance, second life. Second City Church. All right, God bless you. Let's have the worship team come back up. Come on, once upon a time. Ha, ha, ha.